Hello and welcome to season two of the Life After Love Gone Wrong podcast. I am Sandra Fava, partner in the family law department of Fox Rothschild. Uh, my office is in Morristown, but as you've heard me say before, I practice throughout New Jersey and we practice throughout the country. Season two of this podcast has uh, been based largely in part on Adele's 30 album. Um, she devoted that album to her experience of divorce. And I thought that it was really a, a very touching way to connect with our listeners. Today's episode is my little one. And I have two very special guests with me that I'm thrilled to have joining us. Christina Duffy is a wealth advisor with Chilton Trust. And Gina Nelson is the head of fiduciary services for Chilton Trust and also an estate planning attorney by way of her background. Um, they each come to us with 20 plus years of experience in private wealth and fiduciary services. And they have offices in New York, Connecticut, Palm Beach, Florida, North Carolina, and Delaware. Welcome ladies and thank you for joining me today. Hey there, thank, thank you for having us. us. So let's get right into this. Um, I wanted this episode to be about a family that has special needs children um, mm -hmm. and the challenges that that alone brings, but also adding a divorce into that element and how they should be thinking um, when they're focusing on what is best for their child or children. So I'm going to start with you, Christina. Can you Tell us, you know, what is a special needs trust and who would benefit from one? Sure. So a special needs trust is a trust that's specifically set up to benefit a disabled individual. So the disability could be a physical disability. It could be a mental health challenge. It could be a neurodiversity. It's a myriad of things. Someone who is a beneficiary of a special needs trust more than likely is either receiving or eligible to receive governmental benefits to meet their basic needs. So that could be Medicaid, that could be supplemental security income, also known as SSI, et cetera. And so from my perspective, when I have a divorcing family and the, there is a child who is receiving social security benefits, that is part of their child support calculation there is actually a line item in the calculation that specifically you can enter in the benefits that they are receiving um, from the government. So that's um, also a consideration that people should know about if they're in this situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me ask Gina this. What makes a special needs trust different from any other trust that someone would set up? I mean, there's all different types of trusts, as you know. So what makes it different? So the difference for a special needs trust is that it is set up to supplement and not supplant of the beneficiary's government assistance. So as Christina said, you know, these are set up for disabled beneficiaries and under the terms of a standard trust, um, that beneficiary could become disqualified from receiving those government benefits. So this means when setting up a special needs trust that the trusts can't have any required distributions. If a beneficiary is automatically entitled to any income or principal of the trust, that could disqualify them from what they are receiving under the government benefits. Um, so these trusts are really set up 
up in order to give the beneficiary access to funds outside of what they'll receive under benefits. So this is things like travel, um, taking a companion on travel or other excursions if that help is needed, social events, concerts, cell phones, computers, treatments and therapies that aren't covered otherwise by their government, government benefits. Uh, so, for example, you know, I've worked with clients who had a special needs child with multiple physical disabilities, and one of the things that really helped that child was equine therapy. Not covered by government assistance generally, that's where the trust comes in and can cover those sorts of things. Great. Okay. That's, that's good to know. So, Christina, who or what would normally set up a special needs trust? And who do they go to to even consult with establishing that trust? I know, you know, as part of the divorce piece of it, I don't do estate planning. I know there are attorneys in my office who do do that. But aside from that, is there anywhere else that they could go to to get this established? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's look at the first part of your question. So the the what or the who normally sets it up. Um, most often, the person setting the trust up, also known as the grantor, that person setting up the trust is a family member. So that's a parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be a sibling, sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's a guardian. But generally speaking, someone sets up the special needs trust or supplemental needs trust on behalf of the disabled person. And that disabled person, when someone sets it up, that disabled person does not own those assets that will fund the trust. And I say that for a specific reason. These types of trusts where someone sets it up with assets of their own for benefit of that disabled party is called a third party special needs trust. There are other instances where um, the disabled person has the ability to set up the trust themselves because there is ownership or intended ownership of those assets that would fund the trust. That's called a first party special needs trust. And really for like today's purposes, I think we just focus on the third party. First party is a very nuanced animal, if you will. There's lots of rules around it, et cetera. So for, for I think probably what you're your listeners and your clients most likely will see are these third party trusts. So common scenario that we see a lot, parent sets up trust for benefit of child who has um, a special need, a disability, whatever it is. And that parent, as Gina was saying, you, you're setting it up because you wanna ensure that the beneficiary gets more than those basic needs that governmental assistance gives them. So it's the equine therapy as she uh, referenced in her um, example, or it's the trips with a companion, whatever it is, but it's that pool of funds that will supplement those basic need benefits that they already get. You could also set up a special needs trust via a will. So lots of attorneys now, lots of estate planning attorneys now have language built into their will documents where special needs trust could be triggered if certain things happen, right? In fact, I have it in my own, my own documents. I have, uh, like just using myself as an example, I have a family member with special needs and it's my intention at my passing to create a pool of funds to help that person after I, um, 
after I pass away, unless I can figure out how to live forever <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to help them with the additional um, supplemental sort of items. To go back to that second part of your question on who to consult, I would imagine, and I think you said it before, right? You, as part of your process with your clients, recommend maybe as they're getting closer to settlement or what have you of the divorce proceedings that they go see an estate planning attorney, one of your partners in your firm that's focused solely on estate planning. Right. I would further that by saying that person really needs to understand the nuances of special needs trust planning as well as governmental benefit systems because they're delicate. That estate planning attorney will go through current documents beneficiary designations, maybe even ask about planning that has been done for this disabled person by other parties and take it all into consideration um, when you're having that conversation, you know, is a special needs trust right for me or not? I would strongly encourage um, anyone that's listening that if you're having these conversations, be as transparent as possible in that conversation. And I'll say this, having had it myself, it's a tough conversation to have, but probably having gone through the divorce process, you're pretty tough by then, <laughs> by the time you're having that special needs conversation, especially if you're having it and the beneficiary is one of your children, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna make sure that that party gets exactly what they need. So be transparent, give that estate planning attorney as many details as you possibly can, even if you think it is irrelevant, because um, it may be very relevant in the planning process. Gina, would you add to that in, in some way? No, I would, I would just say, as you said, the key is really making sure you have an estate planning attorney who specializes in this. The qualifications for different benefits can change quite rapidly um, and also very greatly from state to state. So ensuring that your attorney that you're working with knows the qualifications for your particular state and for the particular assistance and benefits that your beneficiary may, may receive is key. Let me ask a question about timing. Um, so when I'm involved in a divorce matter um, and that there is a special needs child and we're divvying up in a, you know, a marital estate, I like at that point in time to try to get the other side or the parties to agree on establishing a special needs trust at that time as part of their overall negotiation. Do you have any, um, you know, looking at it from your angle, do you have any comments or thoughts on the timing of establishing a trust like this vis-a-vis uh, -vis a divorce situation? Is it better to do it during the divorce? Should they do it separate, you know, after the divorce? I think that depends largely on their individual estate plans. Because one of the things that, that is important when putting together a special needs trust is really taking into account the big picture of each of the people who are setting this up, as Christina said, the grantors who are, who are setting up the trust. So things like whether it should be revocable or irrevocable, whether it should be funded during lifetime or upon death, which is then going to play into the point you brought up about whether it should be set up you know, during the divorce proceedings, whether it should be an agreement to set it up and fund it as part of of their later estate planning documents. All of that needs to sort of be looked at in the grand scheme of each grantor's um, sort of estate, overall estate plan and financial plan. 
Okay, so if you have a situation though where one party is the moneyed spouse and there's you know the other spouse is let's say a stay-at-home parent with no income generated, it could be beneficial for that family to do it separately. Could also be beneficial for them to do it as part of the divorce process. Exactly. That's just just going to be very specific to the facts and circumstances of each case. Um, So really hard to sort of give a general idea of which one's going to be better. It's just so specific to the facts that you'll find uh, for each individual situation. Yeah, I totally agree. One, One of the jokes that we tell in our business is, you know, when somebody asks a question like you're asking, the answer is always, it depends. Because yeah. it does depend. It, it just depends on the details of the situation. Yeah, like like lawyers. That's uh, an often response to us as, mm-hmm. for us as well. So <laughs> right. I think the takeaway, though, is that if you have a family um, that has a special needs child, you at the very least need to consult with that attorney, that estate planning attorney yes. with experience to decide what's going to be best for your family. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's no harm in having a conversation at any point in your process. At at the very least, it's information for you to refer to and draw upon, you know, even later in the process. I don't think that's harmful at all. Okay. So getting back to the crux of these trusts, can you, Gina, tell us what happens to the assets held in trust when the beneficiary passes? Well, so assuming this is the third-party type trust that Christina mentioned that we've been sort of focusing on in our conversation today, it is entirely up to the grantor where those assets pass on the beneficiary's death. So that could be to other children, to siblings, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, friends, or charity. And what we'll find a lot of times, particularly if there was a particular charity that was very helpful to the disabled beneficiary, you know, a lot of times the grantor will want to help support that charitable entity uh, upon the death of the beneficiary. So it just, again, to go back to our favorite saying, it depends, um, but it is entirely up to the person who's funding the trust. And who pays the taxes on a special needs trust? Sure. So that's another, it depends. It really is dependent upon the particulars of the situation. You know, like who created the trust, income tax rates, et cetera, et cetera. So here's what I would say. As part of your process, as part of probably what you're doing broadly in the divorce process anyway, you need to just make sure that your tax professional is looped into the conversation. It probably makes sense for that tax professional to talk directly to the estate planning attorney as well, just so everybody's on the same page. But it's another detail-specific answer, if you will. Got it. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I think we have one... A few more questions that I wanted to cover. What should be taken into account when considering the creation of a special needs trust? Well, as mentioned earlier, one of the things to keep in mind is just looking at this special needs trust in the overall context of an estate plan. Um, But other things sort of specifically that should be taken into account are where do you want the beneficiary to live? So if if your child lives at home, do you want them to stay in your home after your death? Do you want them to go live with a family member? Are there adaptations to a home that will need to be made? Will the trust need to be able to support, you know, maintenance and taxes and and insurance expenses on a home? 
also, you know, what sorts of things, other things would you want to be sure that the trust covers, you know, that aren't covered by, by government benefits? So things that we talked about earlier, like therapies that aren't covered, travel, you know, we'll often see families that want to go on a family vacation, but they really need, you know, the disabled individual needs a companion to be able to help, and the trust can cover that. Um, out, outings to theaters, those sorts of things. So, you know, all of those types of things that the beneficiary enjoys should be taken into account in the drafting just to make really clear what the grantor's intent is. And again, it's going to have to include that language about supplementing and not supplanting the government benefits so the trustee is sure that they're not making any distributions that would uh, that would potentially harm their qualifications. And so here's, I think, an important question. What would happen if someone left assets to a disabled person outside of a special needs trust, right? I, I find often that the clients that I'm dealing with are so exhausted by the divorce process that adding additional mm -hmm. steps mm -hmm. is often met with some resistance. So, yeah. you know, can you touch on that and why this yeah. is something that, you know, they should seriously consider? Yeah, yeah. And I, I totally understand that perspective of just being tired, but this is like Absolutely. the last leg of the race, you know. Um, you could disqualify your disabled party from benefits entirely, which would be horrible because, you know, those Medicaid, SSI, that, that meets basic need. It's it's not, um, you know, all the bells and whistles, but it's basic need and it's not something that you would want them to be without. The other, I guess the other answer to that question is there could be, you know, some sort of appointee to manage money on behalf of the disabled beneficiary, you know, to, in an attempt, I guess, to not lose those benefits, but it's additional steps and hassle, quite frankly, that I don't think anybody would want to go through. Advanced planning and really trying to like stick out that last leg of the marathon um, is to everyone's benefit and, and being very thorough in your conversations with your estate planning attorney, again, I can't stress that enough because something simple like, oh, I forgot to change a beneficiary designation on my IRA and then it pays out directly. That could be a major problem. Um, right. So, yeah, the, the consequences are not good. That's what I would yeah. say. Okay. Agreed. And Christina, I would just add that, you know, generally speaking, as you mentioned, either it's going to disqualify them from benefits or it's going to require court intervention. Um, and that's not a process that, especially after going through a divorce right. and all of these different steps that anybody sort of wants to add, having to go back to court again to, to address the issues. So um, definitely best to do that advanced planning. Who is best left to be the trustee of a special needs trust, Gina? Well, there are some different ways to approach that. Some people have the thought that a close friend or family member is the best person to be a trustee. They know the grantor, they know the beneficiary and the particular needs of that beneficiary. And so that seems to be a good fit. Um, another option would be to have a professional trustee. Professional trustees have the time, the resources, the capacity, and the knowledge to be able to appropriately administer a special needs trust. 
So really what we found is that a lot of times what works best is a combination of the two. So you have a close friend or family member who is very you know, intertwined with the family and the beneficiary, and then you have the professional trustee who, who has all of the, the sort of technical knowledge about the trust administration um, and what needs to be done to ensure that the beneficiary continues to qualify. Keep in mind that this is, you know, generally in, in sort of a standard non-special needs trust, if a, a trustee makes a distribution that maybe they shouldn't have, the consequences are not terribly dire. With a special needs trust, if a trustee makes a distribution that it shouldn't have, that in and of itself can disqualify a beneficiary from receiving assets. So appointing only an individual who doesn't know and understand all of those technical requirements can have um, some unanticipated consequences. And that's why, as I said, a lot of times having that combination works really, really well. Again, it depends though, individual facts and circumstances, great conversation to have with your estate planning attorney based on you know, sort of all of the other pieces of the puzzle and making sure they all fit together to come up with the right trustee or combination of trustees for you. And especially in a divorce scenario where people may not be getting along at their best, knowing that they have these options um, and that it doesn't have to be one or the other alone or that they don't have to do this together is, is certainly helpful and maybe can help them certainly to get it done, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, I think it's nice to have um, a professional fiduciary involved. I think, you know, a lot of times we're so busy with our lives, right? You, you know, you're an attorney, I'm in the wealth space, Gina's in the wealth space, but we like, we're living our lives every day. And so the, the burden of having to administer a trust, especially a trust so specific, like special needs trust, it can be significant. So, you know, ha that person having the access to a professional fiduciary and putting that burden on them, that can be a great relief. So um, it's something to consider. Great. Okay, well, that's all the questions that I had. Can you let our listeners know how they can find you? Should they want to discuss any of this with you in more detail? So if your listeners want to get in contact with us, uh, we can be reached at our website, which is www.chiltontrustcompany.com. Gina and my information, our bios, our contact information are listed there. So feel free to look us up, reach out via email or phone, and we're happy to have a conversation about you and your family. Well, thank you ladies both um, for joining us, taking time out of your busy days. This is the Life After Love Gone Wrong podcast. Uh, my name is Sandra Fava, a partner again with Fox Rothschild. You can contact me on our foxrothschild.com web page. My contact information is there. You can follow me on Twitter, NJ Fam Law, my Facebook page, or on Instagram, ask Sandra Fava. And I look forward to our next episode. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for having us. Thank you.